Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that has developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style with the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the Big East. From the perspective of the media, coaches, former players, and even officials. So we hope you enjoy the Big East Rewind. Welcome to the Big East Rewind podcast and Zoomcast. Today we have a exceptional talent from Syracuse. A local guy from Rochester whose number has been retired, played a long time in the league, and he just lit up the dome like nobody else. Came from Greece, Athena, was an All-American, New York State Mr. Basketball. John Wallace is our guest, and he'll fill us in on a lot of details. Can't wait to get this program going. Sit back and enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Big East Rewind. I'm your host, Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and as always... My main man, number 23 for the Syracuse Orangemen, Sonny Sparrow. How are you, Sonny? Doing great, Chuck. We've got one of my guys in the house tonight. One of your guys. guys. I know. I one can't wait guys. to talk to this guy. He was a pretty Upstate good player. Did, did a lot of good things over there in the Dome. So he's a pretty good player with us today. So, you know, you've, you've gotten a lot of pretty good players that came out of that university, Sonny. Yeah, how about that, you know? Not bad, not bad. Beheim did all right for being there 40-something years now. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, man, our, our guy, too, he's a homegrown guy. He's, you know, hour down the road, man. Right, Rochester, right? Yeah, so. Right, Rochester, New York. That's there you right. go. Without any further ado, let me introduce our guest. When he graduated Syracuse, he was in the top five in scoring, rebounding, and in block shots. His number 44 hangs in the rafters. <laughs> Syracuse legend, John Wallace is with us. How are you, John? Chuck, what's up? Sonny, it's always good to see you, my brother. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on your show, and I'm looking forward to it today. So before we start, John, I got to tell you, Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God. There it is. I had a bet with Sonny that you would that you would follow that up, John. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Just won me dinner. Thank you. We, we had a we had a backup plan in case you didn't go. I, I was going there, so I just I just actually bought that. I own that. I own that now. The whole Cuse. Oh, so do we have to pay you money now, John? Because we said I'll let you guys slide. You you you're from the real biggie era. Real biggie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so Sonny's telling me right before we start the show, Sonny's telling me about this expression that we just said, and he said it was on T-shirts and everywhere up and down Marshall Street. Everywhere. Right? How did that come about? Well, it had nothing to do with me. It was, uh, I'm not even sure who the guy who, who uh, put it on shirts. Um, back then, it was no, it, it was just a fun thing. And, you know, we weren't even thinking about it from a financial money standpoint, right? right. Happy to be a part of that run. Uh, it came from a song. And I started, I started saying it after we beat Arizona in Arizona in 1995. We stopped their 56-game non-conference home game winning streak. And after the game, it was just a basic cues in the house, meaning like when we're on the road, we're still in the house. So we travel, as Sonny will tell you. When oh, I know. When Syracuse plays, there's always cues fans. I don't care where you where we play. Everywhere. We play in yes. Alaska. We could play in, in Canada. Like wherever we play, there's cues fans. And it's just, so just part of being like cues in the house. Oh, my God. Like watch out for us. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. So he, yeah. And I, and I've been around Marshall street. I visited there, you know, uh, back in the day in high school. And obviously we played there numerous times, you know, and that place is, is nuts down there. You see, all, when I, when we were playing, it was all Pearl shirts and stuff and down in yeah. Marshall street, you know, Let's sitting see. on top of the dome, spinning the ball on his finger. Chuck, you, know? Chuck, you guys come, you, you guys were filling over to the Jesuit school, which is a great school and all that. But you guys come up to Syracuse, you're just like, oh, my God, you guys actually have that much fun and you're that good at basketball. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, right. like, I know you're like shell shocked up there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, John, because 
you know, you know, being, the, you know, the good Catholic university, it's Augustinian though, by the way, they would shoot me if I didn't correct you. So, okay. um, and, and, you know, we, we, I would call and I would tell my mom, I was in the library. I'd tell my girlfriend, oh, I'm in the library, but the library was a club in the hotel that we all hung out at <laughs> after the game. So we didn't lie, but I, you know, we were in the library, but I wasn't reading any books, John, you know, no doubt. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so let's start, John, tell you, you started playing basketball a little bit later, right? When did you start yes. playing ball? Eighth grade, uh, first year of playing organized ball. I was 13. Up to that point, it was all about uh, football, which my first love, and, and boxing. And um, honestly, boxing. today, that's my favorite sport to watch, boxing. Um, really? And like a big fight. Yeah, I love big fights, really good fights, competitive fights. Um, so, yeah, it was all about boxing and football coming up. And then Coach Doug Childs uh, talked me into going to a basketball camp. And not only did he talk me into it, he paid for it. Because I was just like, man, I'm, we don't have extra money for a camp. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll pay it. You know, and so Mr. Childs, he paid for my camp and the rest is history. And that's why he was at my retirement um, back in 2020 and February 29th. He, uh, he flew up for it. He's, you know, he's actually the one who got me started and put that battery in my back to go and give it a try. Now, where were you boxing? Were you boxing like at the Boys and Girls Club? Or where was boxing? Where was oh, that happening? Oh, pal. You guys remember pal? Back oh, police athletically. Yeah. 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 I did everything pal offered. They offered football. I did that. They offered boxing. I did that. They offered softball. I did that. They offered basketball. I actually did play basketball for pal, but I, it, it wasn't, it was not really organized. It was just like, you know, a couple games here and there and travel, but I did play basketball for him too, too so. My mom basically had me doing whatever they were offering uh, just to keep me active and busy and staying out of trouble from uh, hanging around the wrong crowd. So, right. so, so, so boxing and football really had you prepped for the for those Georgetown wars at the Dome, I guess, <laughs> when you got into the Big East. You had you were ready for combat when you got to those games, right, John? No, no doubt. As you know, Chuck, the, the Big East back then was just a, um, just, just a really, really tough, tough, conference it was hard nose bring your lunch pail and your hard hat and yep. uh, you know just it's just a and, and, and we loved it right that's what we came up on we love watching the games we love being a part of the big mondays we love being part of all the robbery games all the big games um you know just there's nothing like the the, the real big east and i keep saying the real big east because it just it's so different now and um you know you some of the schools are, you know, still in there, but for the most part, the the the, the original teams and the teams that were were part of the that all those rivalries back then, and all those all those great coaches and great teams, is, you know, that that's changed a little bit now. And honestly, without Villanova, the Big East would really be in trouble. I think uh, Villanova, you guys have been carrying the torch for the Big East, you know, yeah. winning a, a couple of national championships over the. In 2016 and 2018, Jay Wright, you know, uh, keeping a, a top five, top 10 program uh, perennially. So, you know, uh, hats off to what Jay Wright's been able to do in the, in the midst of, you know, the change and what's been going on. Um, you know, obviously, Syracuse and Coach Bayham, I know, didn't want to leave the Big East, but it was uh, out, of, out of his hands and out of his, uh, you know, it, it, honestly, it still sucks. Football. Uh, Football I, I, I miss being in the East. Yep. Uh, the ACC is just like, ah. Nothing like it. So, yeah. so you start, so you get introduced to basketball. And then what's your path now through high school? Well, through high school, I, I played another year of football. But um, all, all the way up until high school, I was like a quarterback, running back, outside linebacker. And then the high school, because I'm starting, I'm, taller than everyone else and you know back then you had your prototypical players and what size they had to be so right like if you're over like six feet six one you couldn't be a quarterback back then it's just like <laughs> what do you mean you can't be a quarterback at six four so yeah. I, I got put at tight end and this was the pre-gronk day so there was no glory at tight end it wasn't like you're getting a lot of looks a lot of crackback blocks a lot of red zone looks like when he got in the red zone, I knew I was going to get some looks, <laughs> you know, but we had to get to the red zone. Um, but 
Uh, and I, and uh, defense, I played defensive end, which is very similar to outside linebacker. So that's pretty much the same. But um, after that last year, and it was just like, you know, not touching the ball that much and hitting a growth spurt and grew six inches the summer going into the soft, sophomore year, um, it, was, it, was, it was time to give basketball a, a real go, and it, and it worked out. That's great. Now, your, your high school coach, you guys still, t- you're still in touch? Yeah, Don Brown, he came up to the retirement. Um, uh, obviously, I don't see him as much now, you know, you know, being in New York City mostly, doing what I'm doing with the Knicks and MSG. It's, uh, when I go to Rochester, basically to see my family, and then I'm, I'm out of there in a day or two. You know, it's, it's hard to get more than three or four days in Rochester with my schedule and um, mm-hmm. everything that's going on. Now, how soon did Syracuse get in the picture, right? Because you're in the backyard. And was Rosie was Rosie involved in any of the recruitments for you? No, 10th grade. Uh, I, I remember my letter from Syracuse very vividly, walking down the hall and Coach Don Brown telling me to sit down. I got a letter that and – he, and he showed me that Syracuse letter, and it was from Bernie Fine. And um, for, for me, from that day forward, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I mean, and, you know – Fran Fraschiller and Rick Barnes did a great job recruiting me because, honestly, my sophomore year, I was close to signing with Providence. I mean, they did a great job. My mom really loved them. Uh, Fran Fraschiller, I mean, that guy drove to Rochester once a week for about two and a half years, and he didn't miss a week. I mean, very – so he's a great recruiter. Um, it was hard to say no to them because mm-hmm. of the work he put in. And you, and you like to see someone get rewarded for that kind of work and, and all that. But I just knew Syracuse was a better fit for me. And uh, as opposed to the Providence fit and that style, I was more of a Syracuse player. I wanted to be more like Derek Holman and Billy Owens and not like, you know, Michael Smith and Dickie Simpson. So mm-hmm. um, for that, for that matter, you know, it was just an easy choice for me. All right. Were you a fan of, of Syracuse back as, as you started to play after your eighth grade year? Will you start? Will you, is that somebody that you watch them on TV or? Oh, that- I've always I've always loved Syracuse. I've always been enamored with the whole Syracuse Georgetown robbery. Um, watching the Patrick Ewing uh, and, and, and those teams against Syracuse back then. Watching Tony Red Bruin dunk on those guys. I mean, it was just it yeah. was just in, in Pearl making Michael Mc, uh, McDonald fall. He made him fall, and then he, as he's went, as he's going by him, he pointed at him and started laughing, and he made him fall. I just I, I remember all those those games vividly and wanting to be a part of that. And obviously not knowing you're, you're going to be a part of that, but just being like how cool it was and how, how, how dope it was to, that those two teams had real disdain. I remember Coach Beheim at the press conference saying that the better team didn't win today, they might have won, but the better team didn't win after that foul um, that um, Michael Graham committed. Uh, so, because he got kicked out of the game, then they put him back in the game because John Thompson, like, threatened to pull his team or something. So I just remember all that, and I'm just like, man, to be a part of that or get a chance to be a part of that would, would mean everything. And on the flip side, I told teams like Georgetown, North Carolina, Indiana, don't even bother recruiting me because I wasn't that type of player. <laughs> nice. Wow. So so did you make your way then uh, at that time? Because when, when Sonny and I are a little older than you, so there really wasn't AAU back then. Did you go to the camps or did you do the AAU circuit when you were? No, we, we had it. So shout out to my boy, Mickey Walker. Mickey. Mickey had, yeah, Mickey had a great team and uh, – Mickey had the only AAU team in all of upstate and we, yeah. and we beat everyone. We went a whole summer without losing. Three of us made it to the NBA and the other two, uh, you know, were high majors, Lazarus Sims and Willie Cauley. So uh, our team, we only had five guys, myself, Rick Brunson, Art Long, Willie Cauley, Lazarus Sims. That was our five. Rick Brunson, was it Jalen's dad, Rick Brunson? Yeah, yep. Uh, oh, Rick, wow. Rick, because Rick's from Syracuse. Oh, wow. he, moved, he moved to Massachusetts with his uh, father um, in like eighth or ninth grade. But Rick's actually from Syracuse. His mom still lives in Syracuse. So he's in Syracuse all the time. He loved, you know, he's a Syracuse guy. So um, we were playing AAU ball since 14 years old. And, you know, uh, we had a really, really good team. And back then, like, there was only one team upstate, and it was Mickey Walker. 
there's a lot of good players who didn't play AU because there's only one team. Wow. Now, yeah, Chuck, like today, it's watered with, down. With that team, with only five guys, no parents complained about playing time. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Just don't, well, you Sonny, know, that's, don't pick up that's any pre, Holy That's cow. pre-parents even traveling then. Parents oh, didn't even wow. travel today. My mom oh. never saw one AU game in her life. Oh, my just, goodness. It, never, it, just, it just wasn't that kind of – <laughs> Just you, you left with your coach, you came back three days later, and right. you went to school the next day. Mickey wow. had that big – with that big Cadillac, right? Didn't he Mickey have that Cadillac? Or that oh, what Mickey? car did Mickey drive? Yeah, Mickey had – uh, it's like a Lincoln. I used to drive it. Lincoln, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big Lincoln. That's and a, you survived all of that. Imagine that, John. The parents today are all over their kids when it comes to that stuff. Mickey's you know a great what? guy. The, the, the parents are, are worse than the kids. And, um, you know, some of them live in jaded worlds. You know, I have some parents who are, you know, a father's 5'6", the mom's 5'1", and their son is 12 years old, and he's probably at his adult height already. That's why he's so good. But they don't understand that. And I try right. to explain to them, like, don't put all your eggs in the basketball because he's probably done growing at 5'4". Like, that's why he's so good. Like, he has all his coordination is there. And, and some parents are like, ah, oh, you're hating. But then I had a couple of parents who come back a couple of years later. They're like, I wish you, I, I hope you, I, I thank you for keeping it real with me because I put my son in some more academic stuff because I didn't, like, some parents get all about basketball, basketball. And when it doesn't work out and you put all that pressure on a 12-year-old kid and a 13-year-old kid who's ranked, I don't even know why they rank kids that young. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, well, what is that? Who, who cares if you're ranked that in fifth grade or sixth grade? It means nothing. They shouldn't even allow it. I mean, uh, I totally agree. The fact that they rank kids so young messes up the kids. You know, of course, a kid that's ranked at a young age is going to feel a you know start feeling a certain way. Might get complacent. You know, I, I just I just never bought into that whole ranking system and all that. Just play ball. There's a kid in Rochester who was ranked ahead of LeBron James in ninth grade, Jermaine Bell. And I, I you know, Jermaine Bell, he still had a good career. You know, he played pro ball in the semi-pro leagues and all that. But, I mean, where did the ranking get him? LeBron, you know what I mean? Like, you got to keep working. And you got you to gotta buy into the work ethic part of it. Like, if you're not ready to work every day and to work on parts of your game and be able to, uh, to accept and be receptive of constructive criticism – then yeah. you probably shouldn't, you're not an athlete. At some yeah. point, coach is going to have to get in your, and today's players can't really accept that. That's why I know I couldn't be a coach today because I don't have the patience to deal with players who um, who think they're so great and they, they, they don't, they're not, they, they won't accept or even allow you to talk to them like, like, they, like they know everything. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's absurd. So, yeah, so, so Bernie sent, so Bernie sent you the letter in 10th grade. Yep. Was Bernie was Bernie your 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 first point? How how soon did Beheim get involved? I mean, what what was Beheim? Beheim took over my junior year after we had a tournament and I played really good. And um, basically, he took over from that day forward in terms of um, making me his uh, main priority. He was at all my games, all my all my AAU tournaments. He was right there, um, and you know it, it was just. I mean, it was it was a done deal for me. Uh, he didn't really need to show up. I love Syracuse um, on its own. The fact that he showed up, the fact that they show love, the fact that I love their style of play. You know, son, you know, man, like if you can play, if you're a polished player, Syracuse is a great place for you. If you got to work in your game a little bit and you, and you might sit, it, it can be frustrating because coach only plays like, you know, six, seven guys, you know, and yeah. – it, it, it can it can wear on you if you're not playing. So, but if you're a polished player and you can really play, Syracuse he'll let you play. Syracuse mm-hmm. is a great place, and you know he'll 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 definitely let you play your game. So, yeah, and you I mean you average double figures every year. So when you came in as a freshman, uh, DC was graduated, right? Yeah, DC left in '90. I came in '92. Okay, so uh, was that someone that you? modeled your game with did you talk about did he have an influence on you and your game Sonny I, I had I so I went to the Syracuse camp my sophomore year I bought a Derek Coleman jersey the white one and I wore it every day <laughs> I, I hooped in it every day you know like I, I was like Derek Coleman I'm like I, I am Derek Coleman <laughs> the, the shirt was like dingy dirty <laughs> 
I sure could have walked to the wash by itself. Yeah, I mean, and it, I washed it. I literally, I washed it every night. I washed it by hand. You know, old school, I washed it by hand with some soap, hang it over the, the shower thing. It's dry in the morning. I'm, I'm putting it on the next day, and, I'm, and that's what I did every day. I love that jersey. I mean, the, one of the fours was falling off. I mean, it was just in the the S and the Y was, you know I mean, oh, but I, I wore it every day. That was my jersey. I love Derek Coleman. Um, I, I love, I love the way he played. I love his attitude. I love the number. Um, and, and, and the same with Billy Owens. Like I had, I had great guys to emulate at Syracuse because of my size and my game and what I was trying to do. Those guys are, you know, a little bit before their time in terms of being stretch four, stretch, yeah. stretch eyes, even at Derek, you know, like, they were a little bit before their time, but both supremely skilled, high high skill set, high basketball IQ. Um, just a shame that we weren't able to win a title with those guys. Explain to Chuck the significance, because I know people know about it in football. I don't know if they understand that the, the significance of the number 44 at Syracuse is off the charts. Well, well, Sonny, you know why you know why Jim Brown wore the number, right? No, I do uh, not. So, you know, back then, uh, black athletes weren't allowed to get like a full, full scholarship. So he got a partial scholarship and 44 people donated money for him to go to school at Syracuse. Oh, wow. That, that, that's why he wore the number. And that's why the number is so special. Um, it started with Jim Brown, obviously. He should have been the first black Heisman Trophy winner. But yep. then Ernie Davis was. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, Rest in peace. Little was another Boy Little passed away. But uh, the number 44 is just special. My guy, Rob Conrad, you know, he, he's the last yeah. player to wear, and I'm the last basketball player to wear the, wear the number up there. And I, and I, and I hold like, like I, like when I, when I think of that number, when I was wearing that number, I knew I had to represent it properly. I knew I had to, and if I didn't, Derek's going to come back and beat me up. Like he literally pulled up to campus one day. Was like I heard they gave you my number. You better represent it because if you don't, I'm coming back to f you up. You know, Derek. And I was just like, All right, I got you. <laughs> no, 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 no mixing any words. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a one minute conversation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> and it was all one sided. <laughs> it was a one way conversation. That's but right. a, a lot of head shaking and okay. <laughs> So, so now you get, now you get on campus and you, and you start ready to start your first year, John, you're ready to start your season. Talk about what it was like walking into the gym, into the dome the first time. Cause you guys didn't practice. You practiced at Manly, didn't you? I mean, back yeah. then, right? So we practiced so talk, at walking into Manly, a freshman, you're getting ready to go. What, what, what's going through your head when you come in the door for the first time to start practice? I just wanted to let them know I belonged and it, it happened in our first run, honestly. Um, Adrian Autry had the ball on the break, and he passed it back to me, and I dunked on Conrad McRae, uh, rest in peace. And Nick Nasty. That, that, for me, was like, I'm here. Like, I belong. I can, I can play with these guys. And then in that same game, Billy Owens was playing with us, and I scored on him a couple times. So I'm just like, oh. Like, like that's, those are things that i never forget, and those are things that took my confidence to a whole nother level because I, once you, once you're there and then you know, you belong, it, it changes your whole mindset, you know, and, um, and not to, not to be outdone, um, comrade McCray, not to be outdone. I'm speaking for my, my boy's not here any, anymore. Uh, the worst I've ever gotten dunked on in my life was by comrade. Um, it was on a tap dunk and the ball bounces off the rim and it's like, I don't know, maybe a foot, foot and a half over the rim. So we both jump. Now I, I I've hit the top of my jump, and now I'm starting to descend. And Conrad is still ascending. And as he's ascending, he grabs my he grabs my shoulder with his right hand, no, with his left hand, and dunks it with his right hand, and he throws me on the ground. And he's you know he's screaming emphatically. Rah! So Coach Mayheim's like, all right, we're gonna end practice. Ask Adrian Autry about this story. I'm like, in practice? Oh no. Jump ball, we got to keep playing. I got to get them back. You know what I mean? So we kept playing another 20 minutes. But Conrad and I were always going at it. Um, man, such an incredible, incredible athlete. I mean, he jumped out the gym. It was, it was, his athleticism was off the charts. Well, well, yeah. you're at your, your position. 
you mentioned it before, you were well ahead of your time because at the time, our fours at Syracuse were typically a little more inside, a little more back to the basket where you played the wing. You easily could have been like a two or a three, you know? And yeah. and your, your class, you came in with Otis Hill and JB. So you got two centers that are in your class. So, you know, it's not like they're bringing in guys at your position. So what, what, was, what was your expectations where you were going to play? Like I said, Sonny, after that first run, I knew I was going to play. I, I, I knew I was going to – I wasn't worried about uh, – JB actually came in in 91. He's a year before me, but he redshirted. Right. JB and Z. Zara Sins both redshirted. Right. They yep. came in with uh, those six guys with uh, Anthony Harris, Luke Jackson, Glenn Secunda – um, Lazara Sims, JB, and Lawrence Moten came in with that class. So, um, but I knew I was going to play right away because, of, like I said, the very first run, I was playing very, you know, I was, I, I had no issues scoring, holding my own, getting rebounds. All, all the things I did in high school, I was still doing at that level. And I, you know, I remember going home being like, I, I got this. I, like, I knew I was going to play. I wasn't worried. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, and then you so now you know you walk in now you go in and have you ever played in front of that many people before your first game at the dome with thirty thousand maniacs screaming all in orange? What was that like? I know what it's like to play there on the other side, John, and it wasn't fun for us. We we got our doors blown off every time we played up there. It was a, to me and Sonny and I have talked about this. It was the toughest place to play for an opposing player in my, in my, in my view, you know, absolutely. I mean, it was, it's the greatest place to play as a, as a Syracuse player. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. think there's a better stadium arena dome in the country. And for a lot of players, it meant that the depth perception messed up their shot in the dome. And for right. me, I loved it because I love, I like, I, I shot better in the dome. Um, so I love I love the the whole dome. I love that atmosphere. I love playing, you know, in front of thirty thousand people. I mean, there, there's there's nothing like it having thirty thousand people having your back. And I can say this with extreme confidence that uh, Syracuse fans have never booed a, a Syracuse team, even some of the teams who deserved it, who didn't play good or didn't play hard that particular night. But those fans are so loyal and, and so loving and, you know, just the greatest ever. They, they, they've never booed us. They've always come to support, even when, even when it's minus 20 wind chill and three feet of snow outside. And that wind on the hill. Yeah, it's still <laughs> going to be some, uh, some, some faithfuls up in there. Might not be the 30,000, but it, you'll get 20,000 still in there. And it's, yeah. it's, it's an incredible place, man. I mean, I'm grateful to be a part of that uh that that Syracuse lineage well you guys you guys were really their pro team up there there was no pro teams up that way so you guys were it right I mean the popularity of the basketball team in the 80s and 90s you know right up until you guys uh finally got the chip with with Carmelo right I mean you guys had to be the most popular guys on campus walking around the, for sure on Marshall Street right Absolutely. And a lot of some of the football guys didn't like it, but it just it, it was what it was. You know what I mean? It was it was a it was a known thing. That was our campus. We ran the campus. Um, but you know, we were we were um, you know, when you're when you're 18, 19, 20 years old at a major university, you, you want two things to happen if you're playing ball. You want to be successful and try to further yourself, whether it's in a pro career or in the business world. And you want to have fun. And yeah. Syracuse definitely checks both of those boxes. I mean, we were a great party school. For, so from a social life standpoint, we had a great time. And we won, we won a lot of basketball games. We had a good team. So we had the best of both worlds, I feel like, at Syracuse. And um, a, lot, a lot of guys, you know, I, a lot of guys came in and they were jealous of the, the, the fun we had, the way, you know, at, at that time, Coach Mayheim didn't really have like curfews per se. So you can kind of hang out. You can, you can, you can be a college athlete. And a lot, lot, of, lot of guys came in, they had curfews. They had, they had curfews even when they were at home. And, 
you know, we didn't have a curfew at home until the whole Mike Edwards situation where the Notre Dame game, and that's when we started staying on the hotel for the home games. But even then, I used to, you know, he let us leave, you know, because the night before a game, I would want to sleep in my bed. So I, it wasn't like I was leaving to go and party. I was leaving to go and get a good night's rest in my bed so I didn't have to be woken up early to be brought back to my bed the next morning. I'd just sleep all the way through, get a good night's rest, and be prepared for the game because there's nothing more important than getting your rest and, pre and proper preparation before, before every game. Every game was big. Right, I didn't care. We we're playing marathon oil. I wanted to play the best I could play. Yeah, <laughs> so, so talk talk about the run in '96, right? Well, that run started, you know, and I, I talk about this all the time. It started that summer, and what I mean by that is I started having guys come to my house every weekend, every Sunday, starting in August, building that camaraderie building that cohesiveness off the court. So when we had times when we were playing against teams who were more talented, had more play, you know, better players, player, you know, man by man, we could beat them by loving each other more, being together, being a closer knit unit. So that started in the summer. And I honestly, I always felt like I was the best player on the court. And with that mindset, you always have a chance to win every game. And I, I, you know, I, besides the, you know, the Georgetown game when I was uh, six for 17 that game, uh, other than that, you know, there, there, you'd be hard pressed to find a game my senior year when someone was like just clearly better than me on the court. You know, I, I, I took that personal every game. Yeah. And the, the game, the, the, the game at the, at the dome when Georgetown came to, and, you know, after I played bad at Georgetown and John Thompson, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, said that Bubakar All was the, the John Wallace stopper. So I, obviously I took that personal and I had something to say to Coach Thompson and Bubakar after every basket. And I dropped 25 and 13, beat them by 20, sent them home. And uh, that was AI, and their, their last game at the Dome and sent them home in a nice, nice L. <laughs> That's good. At, at what point, what would, what would you think, John, is the what was the turning point that season where all of a sudden you guys got the feeling that, hey, we, we, can, we can make a run here in the playoffs? What point did you have that? that well, I think it was even before the playoffs, Chuck, in terms of we started the season like outside the top 40, and then we won yeah. our first like 11 or 12 games or whatever. So then we, 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 we were ranked. And we, we lost to Massachusetts out in Hawaii. Um, that was our first loss. But And they so were like we, the number one team in the country at that point. Yeah, right? so they were, obviously they were really good. But af after that start, the start we had and the way we were playing, I knew we could, I knew we had a chance to win it all. I knew we had, we could make a run because, you know, we had, we had all the pieces. And Lazarus was that piece that, you know, he can get everyone the ball. He's a great pass first point guard. Mm -hmm. Best passer I played with. He was an incredible passer. Made the game so easy for you. Um, so, and so we had all the pieces. We had the the point guard. We had the score. We had the secondary score in, in terms of uh, Ty Bergen is sometimes a tertiary score, whether it's Otis Hill or Ty Bergen, depending on that particular game. So we had those three pieces, and we had a guy that got the ball to everyone. Then we had Jason Pola hitting big shots here and there. So, you know, we had, to, we had a complete team. And, you know, it, it took a team like Kentucky to beat us, um, a, a team with eight future, nine future NBA players on it. That was only that's the only type of team that could have beat us that, that year because we were locked in and, um, you know, we had already beat a couple of teams that had, you know, a couple of NBA guys on it. Well, when you had, uh, and we'll talk about a second, when you had your number retired and at that ceremony, I, I don't know who said it, but they, they talked about, you literally put the team on your back through yeah, the NCAA tournament. So you're being humble. You had a great teammates, but you had a pretty special tournament. Yeah, but you know what, Sonny, like guys took turns. Like uh, against Kansas, I didn't play great. Otis played really good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I just try to share the, share the, 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 the credit because 
you know, obviously it takes it takes all of us to get to that point, right? We, you know, Jay Cipolla doesn't hit the shot against Georgia. We're not. I was going to say that shot that Jason hit on the so side like, out of bounds. That's yeah. why you got to give everyone their credit and their just due because everyone played a yeah. major part. Lazaro Sims had some big threes against Georgia. He wasn't known as a three-point shooter. Right. So you can't just, you know, I had 30 and 15 that game, but if he doesn't hit those big shots and Cipolla doesn't hit the shot on the baseline, you know, we don't win. So that's why I try to make sure everyone gets their just credit because, you know, I, I get enough credit, you know, everyone. So I, I want to make sure I, I share that credit and everyone knows um, that it, it was more than me in 96. It was, everyone played a big part and took turns um, um, during, during, that, during that run for us to, to come up big. Yeah, no, you were, though, the leading scorer in the tournament, John. I mean, you had 131 points through the, you know, through the tournament. I mean, so, you know, you know, like Sonny said, I, I know you're being humble and everything, but take us on, take us on. You guys were a four seed, I believe, correct? Yeah. Yep. So take us on, take us on the six games it took you through that tournament. Take us on the run. Who did you get in the first round? Uh, was it Montana State? Okay. I think it would be Montana State, and the the craziness is I my we had, we had a loss of power the night before um, at my at my apartment, so I missed the plane to go out to the to the tournament. I missed the plane. Are you kidding me? What? I'm serious. So Coach B could not have been Coach happy about that. Be losing oh it. I can't we even imagine losing it. Oh my! Oh god. my god! So I, I get up, you know, and I'm when I sleep, I have no concept of time. So I, I wake up like three, four hours later. And um, uh, the trainer I called was like, basically, um, we left a ticket for you at the airport. You know, afternoon flight, you know, you'll be here tonight, whatever. And, you know, you're worried about it like, oh, man, I, like, A, I don't want anyone to think I like blew it off or I don't, I'm not taking it serious in my senior year. And I don't want my teammates to think, you know, I'm, I'm not taking this serious. So um, I, I, I was, I had this whole thing prepared to say to them and then coach Beheim quelled the whole thing by, I get there, he, we have a huddle. He's like, all right, John's going to start. If they have any problems about it, just tell the reporters to talk to me about it. We're here to win games. Let's just bring it in. Hard work, let's go. And that was it. Like, it, was, it wasn't even brought up again. You know, and this is the pre-social media day, so you didn't have to deal with all that. But it, it really put our, our the whole team at ease, and we just went out and played. And we beat Montana, and then we beat Drexel, right? We beat Drexel and Malik Rose. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, then we beat Georgia. To, uh, to, to, then we beat Kansas. Because the Georgia game, we thought we were going to be playing Purdue. You didn't have any slouchy games. I mean, they were all good teams you played. No, nah, and, and, and Georgia was a good team man, with Shannon Anderson on that team. Yeah. Um, so they had a really good team. Um, Carlos Strong, Terrell Bell. And then the Kansas team, which was Jock Vaughn, uh, Paul Pierce, Ray for the French, Scott Pollard. And um, yeah, there's a couple home. NBA guys. Yeah. 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 So we sent yeah. them home. I'd say so. To go to the Final Four. And then we beat Mississippi State, which had more NBA guys than Dante Jones and Eric Dampier. Dante Jones, yep. Yeah. Um, Nick's, and that was one of those games him. where I was kind of like, I wasn't playing great at first. And Dante Jones was playing incredible the first four minutes of the game, and he caught a dunk, and he started talking junk to me. And he was the first person all year to – Start like I I literally I I normally initiated the the trash talking, and to have someone initiate it to me, I was like, whoa, hold on, you're feeling yourself here. Let's see who's gonna be talking at the end of this game. So once it gets once you get me going, now it's like, all right, let's go, let's get it. And you can see parts of that game. I'm telling them come back down, like answer this. I'm going to keep answering you. you. You can't answer this. Like, you're not going to be able to keep answering this bell because you're not that good. I was telling him. And, um, you know, so that that was like, you know, wake up like, all right, you know, you can't be out here, you know, half-stepping, so to speak. And then the Kentucky game, you know, um, I, 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 I talk about it all the time. I just, I feel like we would have won if I didn't foul out. And I, and I feel like three of those calls were terrible. And I, and I told the refs that. 
I told them all they jerked me as I was leaving the court. Um, uh, you know, just, just, you just want to have a chance to go out like fighting, not yeah. sitting on the bench fouled out, you know, um, you like boxing. You want to be on your feet. We were making yeah. our run there. And that was the only time that Lazarus and I playing from four, from age 14 to age 22 that we weren't on the same page. I was telling him to throw the lob on that play. He threw the chest pass. It got deflected and trying to retrieve that chest pass, how I got my fifth foul. Because I just got a dunk on him. And I was telling the Z, just throw it up. Like, just, I'll go and get it. You know, it was, uh, I think it was, um, it was either, it wasn't, uh, what's the big guy that, Mark Pope. Mark Pope that played for the Pacers, the one who deflected the ball, and I'm trying to – but he wasn't an athlete, so I was just telling Z to throw it up. I would have just dunked it on his head. It would have been a two-point game. And we were and we were rolling because they all their momentum was gone, and Tony Delk only scored four points in the second half. They were on the ropes right then and there, and uh, that we, we let them off, right? You know, that play let them off. So – you're, you're, you you finish out a phenomenal career, like Chuck said, where you were at in, in, in historic numbers in terms of Syracuse across the board. Now you get picked by the New York Knicks, first round, number 18th pick. How'd you feel about that? Lifelong, lifelong right. dream fulfilled. Um, Knicks? Life changes overnight. I've always loved the Knicks. Even though I love Syracuse to my heart, like, I love Patrick Ewing too. I love, you know, you just had the respect with Patrick Ewing, the player. So I, my first basketball sneakers were Ewing's. So um, I love Patrick Ewing. I love Bernard King. Um, mm -hmm. He's the first NBA player that I was like, oh my God, how do you do that? You know, when he was just scoring like in bunches, he just score and score and score. So the, the, to be drafted by the Knicks was incredible. Um, to be a part of that, you know, Knicks family, which I'm still a part of now. I work for the Knicks. I do a lot of stuff at the MSU networks. I do at the games and the community. So um, it, it couldn't have worked out better for me. Now on draft night, I, I thought I should have went higher, but the fact that I went to the Knicks and being in a big market like that, I was able to get a big $750,000 Carl Kanai sneaker deal. So that made up for the money I lost out on the draft position. And just being in New York, like I said, it's still paying me to this day. So everything worked out beautifully. And um, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, you had a long career now. You played in the NBA from what was it, 96 to 2004? Yep. Right? And now you, you traveled a little bit. So how long were you with New York before they got before you got traded? I played, I only actually played two years in New York. Um, and, and then the rest I played, you know, Minnesota, uh, Miami. Uh, Toronto, Toronto, Detroit, yeah. Phoenix, mm -hmm. and then I played over in uh, Italy and Greece also. And okay, loved it. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade a second of any of my pro pro career. I, I loved it all. Um, I didn't love Detroit, but you know you, you can never be um, ungrateful for being in the NBA, right? So right. <laughs> much as I didn't like Detroit, the fact that we were still in the NBA was great, but we were, we weren't a good team. Um, you know, but, and, and I didn't really care too much for the city itself, but, you know, Derek, Derek and those guys love that city. I'm not sure how and why, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you better be careful, DC. Right. You're going to listen to this. You're like, what? So, <laughs> so, so, um, so, so let's talk about so you go from there. Now, when did you get the call from Syracuse that they're going to retire your number? John Wildhack reached out to me, um, sent me a, a, a message, called me, and uh, basically let me know almost six, six, eight months prior that, you know, that they were going to be retiring my number. And then we're just, just figuring out a date at that point. And, it, you know, it couldn't have worked out better for me. Coach Beheim, 44th season. My number gets retired on a, on a leap year, February 29th. Um, so I have all these special moments and, 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 and times 
and and I jokingly that's how that's the only way I can one up Derek Coleman because he he won up me everywhere else with that number being number one pick and everything else in the career he had. So my my retirement, I think I won up to him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, listen, it, you know, it's, it's been an unbelievable career, John. I mean, you know, from, from start to finish and, and you're working now with the community and doing your thing, you know, and uh, that's great that you give back to, to the people that have helped you and stuff like that and, and help kids and, and stuff get better. I know you're involved with, you know, we talked prior to the show. I know you're, you're involved with the Knicks camps every summer. I've yep. seen you out. I've seen you out at a couple of them and you interact with every single kid that's there. And it's, it's really, it's really great because, you know, not all the guys that are in the league in, in today's times do that the way you guys did. You know, Starks is at everything, too. And, oh. you, know, uh, you know, Larry's at, you know, Larry Johnson's at everything, too. I mean, you three guys are the staples, really, for all the Nick uh, camps and stuff. I think it's really great that you, how you do that and, you know, that Thanks, you stay John. involved like that. Appreciate that, man. And um, it's 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 um it's it's an even better job than playing in the NBA working with the Knicks because there's no wear and tear in the body, and we get paid pretty well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, the least we can do is go out there and interact with the kids. So, you know, I, I for me, I remember Vinny Johnson coming to Dick's in Rochester, New York after the, the Pistons won a championship, signing autographs, and he talked to me, and. You know, I, if I ever got a chance to be in a position to have someone to say, you know what, I talked to a former NBA player or I touched them or I played one-on-one with them, I'd make sure I do that. And that's, I mean, not that I have a valuable autograph, but I, if I did, I'd have the least valuable autograph because I sign every, everything for anyone. Like, I don't care who it is. Um, I've been signing autographs since I was 15. And it, for me, it's, it's always humbling to this day when someone asks me, for my autograph or a picture. I mean, that just means someone's, you know, uh, appreciating something you did years ago and the work you put in. That's very humbling. And I don't, and I don't take those things for granted. So when I get a chance to interact with a kid, I make sure it's real. They, they, something they can remember, something they can go home and talk about it a little bit, just like I did. Yeah. Hey, what last question, John, and we'll, and we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. We appreciate your time and everything tonight. What are, what are some of the things, what's the one thing, if, you, if a kid came up to you and said, hey, what's the most important thing about being a professional athlete and going through it, what would you tell them to give them a piece of advice? What piece of advice would you give a, young, a youngster that would come up and ask you? I'm going to get up close to the camera for this one. <laughs> okay. Because there's no, there's no secret sauce. There's no special Kool-Aid. You just got to work. You got to be willing to get up every single day and put in work, get off your phone, get off your social media. If your friends aren't working out every day, get new friends, work out by yourself. That's what I did. Uh, People can't believe it, but I used to work out 10 hours every day. I wasn't some basketball prodigy. I wasn't a definite uh, Syracuse bound player. Um, Just because I'm six, eight, six, nine, that doesn't give you a, write a passage to go to Syracuse or any school. You got to work. You got to want it. And the, for, for me, even when you're working and you're working hard, sometimes you might wane a little bit. You might be like, all right, I'm good. But I got reminded, you know, when I played against Juwan Howard in high school, he kicked my ass. I mean, he had 32 points, 18 rebounds, and I remember it vividly at the Boston shootout. And I remember thinking – when I went home, I got a lot of more work to do. Like, because yeah. so, I, was, I was ranked, I was, you know, I was really good, but I, I played against someone who was actually better than me and it, it was humbling and I had to go back and get to work. And, and, and you know, I didn't crawl in a corner and be like, all right, I can't, you know, I'm, I can't wait to play against you again, Juwan. And, and, and honestly, the next time we played against each other was in the NBA. And we, and we talked about us hanging out in, in Boston and we were talking about, he was talking about Benny Wilson, uh, the the Benji Wilson, the, the kid who got killed in Chicago, you know, one of the yeah. best players ever. And I was talking about Lloyd Daniel, the New York prodigy guy and what he went through. And I yeah. remember we were arguing who was better. <laughs> and, you know, we just remember, like, we didn't have an NBA thought at our at that time. We were just young kids 
um, pure unadulterated fun at a Boston shootout camp. And that, that camp woke me up and said, you know what, you got to even work harder than you've been working because there's guys out there who are better than you. And, and if you have that mindset, if you think people are better than you, you'll, you'll just keep working. You won't get complacent. You know, that, that's, 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 that's what I tell all young kids. Work every day. Did, did, how, how much did you work today? Well, because when you go against a guy that's working out every day, you, you, you're going to know the difference. <laughs> yeah. very well said good point that's true very well said there's no shortcuts nothing's for free john exactly. you know you know you, we all got scholarships to play basketball in college but that wasn't for free you know there was blood sweat and tears that went into that scholarship it, so it, it was hard nothing's it was hard for free. hard to earn that scholarship and it's even harder to keep it because guys are coming in every year you know how that is oh, yeah. i remember back then man coach Bayheim would like almost be like you know, ready to take your scholarship. If you weren't playing at that particular day or if a guy on another team, he'd tell you, I didn't even offer that guy a scholarship and he's kicking your ass. I mean, I didn't even offer him. We came and got you. <laughs> well, I can hear that voice right much. now. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, John. I appreciate your time and, and spending time with us and cutting it up with us is really great. Man, anything for my, for my cute brother, Sonny. You know, that's that's the that's right. That's the one thing about uh, Coach Bainheim being there so long is we all have that one common denominator. It brings us closer. We're all brothers. We all play for the same coach. We all have the same stories. So mm -hmm. there's nothing like the, the nothing like the Cutes family. Looking forward. I'll see you on February 5th, Sonny. February uh, 5th. For the Louisville game there. for alumni weekend. Yep. And, uh, Chuck, uh, I'm sure I'll see you this summer at the, Absolutely. Uh, the basketball camps, my brother. Well, I got one last thing to say to you, John. I got one last thing to say to you. Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God. <laughs> John Wallace has been our special guest today on the Big East Rewind. We thank you again, brother, for coming out. The Big East Rewind was produced and directed by Nick Chico Chorus and Daryl Gurney. And you can catch us on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You, will also, you also can get us on Twitter at Big East Rewind. And if you wanted to email us, if you have any suggestions or would like to talk to Sonny and I, you can get us at Big East Rewind at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for joining us. Have a great night, everybody.